You're listening to Open Up the Wall, Revelations of a Renovation Contract. Now this is what they call a, quote, inspirational memoir. It's about my career change from award-winning actor to the owner of my own construction company. It's definitely a memoir, and throughout the 14 episodes of this podcast, you're going to meet some wonderful characters on both sides of the tool belt. This podcast is an edited version of the 27-chapter book of the same title, and it's available in e-form or hard copy. You can find out more about the book and about me, the author, Jeff Bowes, on my website, www.openupthewall.com. Feel free to leave any questions or comments you may have. I'd love to hear from you. Now, in episode three, I was given my first real job as a construction worker. I was part of a real crew that was building a huge recording studio complex. It was hard, dirty work, and I loved it. More than that, I felt comfortable. I felt at home. And just as I was beginning to revel in this sense of belonging, the boss ran out of things for me to do, so I got laid off. So now, episode four, homework. I spent the remainder of the week fixing an area in my basement to hold all my new tools. I made dinners. I called my agent. Oh, hum. On Monday morning, I was on my way to get a haircut. I needed some money coming in, so I thought that if I got well-groomed again, I could pick up a couple of days acting as a generic doctor, lawyer, or politician or something. And then Greg called. I need you to dig a few holes. You in? Sure. He gave me an address, and we met there at the end of the day. It was a nondescript wood frame house, but behind the house was another building, a two-story brick warehouse that had been used as an ice house at the turn of the century. Great blocks of ice had been stored in sawdust on the second floor. They would be loaded onto horse-drawn ice wagons and delivered to the ice boxes in the area. And this now derelict eyesore was to be turned into an expensive dwelling. The building inspector wants to be sure that there's enough of a footing to make this place structurally sound. So I want you to dig down the side of the brick wall till you come to the bottom, Greg explained. That's where you hit the footing. It's a wide slab of concrete that the brick wall will rest on. So you dig around it so we can see if it's thick enough and wide enough to hold this place up. Okay, I'll start in the morning, I said. Yeah, that should be enough time. The inspector will show up after lunch. At 7 a.m., I started to dig down through the hard-packed mix of sand, stone, and tar. At about one foot deep, I found a leather strap belonging to a horse's harness, and not far away were four small bottles of horse liniment. I dug further, with romantic visions of old Dobbin, the dearest horse in the ice house, getting a rub down at the end of a long day by a loving stable lass. I collected the harness and the bottles and a couple of horseshoes, and another bottle. This one was Sambo Rum. The logo was a drawing of a black man with disproportionately huge lips. The date on the back was 1922. Digging this hole was like digging through time, and I let my mind wander off with fantasies of ice men and their horses and their love working together. It would be impossible to grow tired of a job when your partner was a horse. At around the four-foot mark, I found a sack with three small raccoon skeletons in it. 
The next three feet were undisturbed sand, and in no time there was a thunk, and I hit the footing. I exposed the concrete, and then I shaved the sides of my hole so that it was wide enough for the building inspector to comfortably see the base of the footings. Now it was an attractive square pit. The pit was about six feet deep. The sandy soil had made for such easy digging that my last break had been at the four-foot mark, when it had been easy to climb out. Now, two feet lower, I was stuck in the bottom of my hole. How to get out? Well, the obvious solution was to notch myself some footholds in the wall, but when I stepped into them, the sandy soil gave way under my weight. It was getting to the point where I thought of calling Dixie to come and pass down the ladder, which was, of course, lying at the top of the hole. I was working on a plan to wedge my shovel in firmer soil at the halfway point and then climb on the handle to freedom when I heard footsteps on the gravel outside. Two heads appeared at the top of my hole. Greg and the building inspector. Holding his hair off his forehead, Greg looked down and called, How's it going? You down to the footing yet? Oh yeah, it's all exposed for you. Come on down, take a look. You'll need a ladder, though. Down came the inspector, and up went the Jeffrey. I'm pretty sure that neither of them clued in that I was trapped. As things turned out, this minor event had an impact on my life in construction. I realized that I had not given enough thought to this hole and to its purpose. I just brought a shovel and started digging. If I had thought things through, I would have brought not only a ladder, but also a bristle brush to scrub the walls and footings of loose dirt, a hatchet for chopping the roots out, a light to see by as the hole got deeper, a spade for squaring the walls, a garbage bag for all the debris that I had dug up, and some water for me. I had come unprepared for the simplest of jobs. Had it been noticed, it would have put me in a class of worker only suited for general labor, the type never considered creative or even trustworthy. So I decided on a plan. If I were to visualize myself doing the job in my mind, the whole process from start to finish, then surely I would see myself working with all the tools and materials necessary for that particular project. With my mental visual tour, nothing could be forgotten. Multi-trips to the hardware store had become standard procedure for me when I worked on my own places. But it just wouldn't cut it here, where time is money. Minutes later, I had a chance to test my plan. Greg gave me another job putting up temporary lighting in the cavernous first floor. So I visualized myself going through the whole process of running wire, connecting all the fixtures. It worked. It works to this day. The larger the project, the better it works. Stan's van pulled up. Looks like I can use you up at the house, he said. Greg's clients were staying in the apartment on the top half of the house part while their ice house was being put together. The first floor was unlivable thanks to the previous tenants who kicked holes in the walls, shorted out the kitchen wiring, and by the looks of things, never ever cleaned the bathroom. Greg had called in Stan to gut the entire floor and renovate it. So the three of us walked through the first floor, and Greg told us what he wanted done. New kitchen, new bathroom, so all new plumbing, wiring, new front door, and new bathroom door. Save the walls as best you can. Skin the floor with quarter plywood and make it ready for carpet or laminate. They haven't decided yet. Oh, yeah, it's a tile floor in the bathroom, and the tile should be here in a couple of days. Same with the light fixtures. The kitchen is all Ikea, so let me know when you want delivery. Sounds good? Sounds great, I crowed. 
noticing my over-enthusiastic inflection. I was feeling the way I did doing volunteer work. I felt useful. Stan was still finishing at the studio, so I started in on the demolition. It's called demolition, but it's more like exploratory surgery, given the amount of precision cutting involved. Very little actually gets bashed down compared to what gets cut away. And that is why God gave man the Sawzall. The technical name is reciprocating saw, but Sawzall says it all. It looks like a fish, a marlin, because at its nose is a long blade with the capability of slicing through whatever comes in its path. It doesn't whine or scream like most power tools. It growls. With a steady hand guiding it, that beast can chew through wood, nails, and pipe in the blink of an eye. It's another essential tool. It cost me 175 bucks. So, first up was to cut a six-inch strip out of the walls beside the light switches, from floor to ceiling. This would give the electricians their chase. That's a space to run their new wire. The cut had to be exactly six inches wide all the way down so that it could be quickly patched with matching cuts of drywall. Hey, time is money. At the ceiling, I could see that one of the floor joists above was pulling away from where it had been nailed in 80 or 100 years ago. But how many more were like that? If the joists on either side were in the same shape, the floor above could become a bit springy. Springy enough to crack the bathroom tile? Whose fault would that be? It was my call. I was doing the exploratory. What if there were ten bad joists? It would be an expensive job to cut away the ceiling and strengthen all the joists with joist hangers. But what if I cut away the ceiling and they were all fine, except for one or two? What a waste of time and money. Probably better to just leave the thing alone. But what if that joist was the best one and all the other nails in the ceiling were slowly and steadily working their way out? That would make things so bouncy on the second floor that not only would the tile crack, but maybe a water pipe too. What if a pipe split at the elbow just a bit and a small steady drop of water landed on the toaster in the kitchen below? And when the wife went to put down the toast, she got electrocuted by the water contact. And when her husband came in and saw her slumped over the toaster and rushed to her aid, but she was still in electrical contact, so when he touched her, he fried too. When the kids came in and saw their dead fried parents, they'd be scarred for life, probably get into drugs. No, it wasn't worth the sleepless nights. I made a one-foot-wide cut the length of the ceiling, which gave me enough room to have a good look at the floor joists above. Now I could see that somebody had switched the tub and the toilet location decades earlier. To get the new drain pipes in, they cut out great chunks of three joists, rendering them incapable of support. So my ghoulish imagination had saved the day. I cut the ceiling strip wider, wide enough to get shoulders through this two feet. Well, that's room to work. And then I moved on to the kitchen. I turned off the water to the house and I cut the water lines. Galvanized pipe. That's the gray pipe that brings water to the taps. And it corrodes over time. So it has to be replaced with copper pipe. I followed the galvanized to its source in the basement and I carefully cut it off. With the exploratory surgery part of the demo over, I took a crowbar and I yanked the cabinets off the wall. Now, the other essential tool in construction is a pair of steel-toed boots. 
obviously there for toe protection, but I quickly discovered that there were also an effective implement of destruction. I gave the cabinet door a kick. It broke off of the hinge, flew across the room. I didn't feel a thing. So I kicked the countertop free of the cabinets, and then I kicked the doors off the cabinets, and I stomped all the drawers flat. Finally, I kicked the cabinets apart. And now I stood in a pile of debris, thinking about this new show on TV called Homes on Homes. That show has lots of money. They can afford to pay a junk removal company to haul away their on-site construction debris. Now, this was a luxury that was scoffed at by a lot of contractors. If I put their junk removal costs in any of my quotes, I'd never get a job. That's why I had kicked all the cabinetry flat. Now I could stack it in my truck and take it to the dump. Even if it took four trips, it would still be one-third the cost of a junk removal company. Suddenly I heard footsteps on the stairs, and a woman's voice said, Oh my. I scrambled over the debris to the stairs. The client from upstairs was standing a few steps up. Oh, sorry about the mess, I said. I'll have it cleared out of here in about an hour. I have no water. Oh, uh, yeah, I I turned it off. You could have told me. Oh, dear, you're right. I'm I'm so sorry. I wasn't thinking. Uh, I can have it on uh, really soon. I just have to run out and get some pipe caps. I want to do the laundry before dinner. Sure, sure. Okay, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm so sorry to put you out like this. Just let me know when the water is back on, please. And then she went back upstairs. I hightailed it to the lumberyard to pick up end caps for the cut pipes and make things right with the woman. This particular lumberyard was a family-owned business. And two blocks from the lumberyard, I passed a parking lot with a sign, Future Site of Home Depot. We got a couple of years before they're up and running, then we'll see, said Ronnie at the counter. I figure all we got to do is stay competitive. I mean, money talks, eh? Ronnie's mother at the checkout wasn't so sure. I don't think we're going to make it. I went back and capped the pipes. I turned the water on and went upstairs to make amends. Hi, the water's back on with my apologies once again for my thoughtless oversight, I told the client. I got caught up in my work. I I forgot all about the second floor. That's all right. Thank you, she said, and abruptly shut the door. The woman had looked right through me. She didn't see me at all. She only saw a dusty workman who had screwed up her day. Well, I loaded all the junk into the truck. Then I swept up and I vacuumed with Stan's mammoth industrial vac. I had to restore my status as a competent professional. E.M. Forster starts off his book, Howard's End, with two words, and they get a page to themselves. Only connect. The book is about the consequences of status, of not seeing a person for who they really are. I had missed making an initial connection with this woman, so she naturally formed the typical impression of the common worker. Greg was there the next morning. Big rule, dude. You have to tell them when you're going to turn off the water. Oh, shit, she told you, huh? Was she really pissed off? He pushed his hair off his face, keeping his hand on his head while he chastised me. She was in the middle of doing laundry and the water stopped, so what do you think? Now look, this isn't commercial construction where we have the place to ourselves. This is home renovation, as in somebody's home, got it? 
If you act like an idiot, then I look like an idiot for hiring an idiot. The woman, Gloria, came into the gutted kitchen. We picked out the tile, Greg. It's in the back of the Volvo. Could you get him to put it in the garage? The him was me. Off to a great start. I accepted that I had lowered my own status to moron-slash-helper for the duration of this job and that it was entirely my own fault. Richard and Eric, the electricians from the studio job, arrived. Hey, new guy, good to see you again. What's your name again? Hi, it's Jeff. Right, Jeff. Yeah, sorry. So, how's it going? Great, I got everything opened up for you. No, not quite. We'll be running wire across the ceiling in the living room and the kitchen, so we'll need half-inch holes through the ceiling joists for the wire to go through. My job was to make the electrician's job go quickly and easily. If they had to waste the morning cutting and drilling, their costs would increase substantially. You don't pay an electrician an hourly rate to do Joe jobs. That stuff gets left to the low-paid man on the crew. So I cut another six-inch strip out of the ceiling, and then I drilled a hole in each joist, which were spaced every 16 inches down the length of the house. We're going to put in new switches and boxes, said Richard, so you can take out all the old ones. The light switches are still in the switch boxes, I said. Did you cut the power to them? Yeah. I unscrewed the switch from the box, and I pulled at the wires. And Richard went, and I jumped. Jesus, you scared me, I said. My gift to you, replied Richard. Always check that the power is off. Don't take anybody's word for it that you're safe. What's your name again? Jeff. Jeff, sorry, damn, why can't I remember that? My insignificance was overwhelming me today. But just after lunch, Gloria came back in. She held up a DVD cover of a kid's TV show with my picture on it. Is this you? Uh, yeah, I, I did that show a few years ago now. Well, this is amazing. A movie star working in my house. <laughs> That's too amazing. Gloria asked a few of the standard questions. Ever met anybody famous or kissing scenes real? Finally, she said, It's so dusty in here, I don't know how you can stand it. You should be in your mansion in Hollywood. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. In this line of work, I had been mildly ashamed to be known as an actor, but... At this moment, the bit of recognition was timely. Maybe I needed a balance to working in construction. Time would tell. We're done, um, uh, buddy. See you on the next one. Richard and Eric beat a hasty retreat, and I swept up their mess. I was happy in my work. The walls and ceilings of old homes were made by nailing rough strips of wood called lath to the stud walls and then covering them with plaster. The bonding agent was horsehair. I held a strip of lath in my hand and I broke off the chunk of plaster that had hardened around it some 80 years earlier. Then I let my imagination take me back a couple of generations to see a plasterer going to the city stables where they kept the trolley horses. He would be wearing a long leather apron, as plasterers did, and he would have an empty sack that he would fill with horsehair. Then he would walk back to his job site, in his mind setting a target workload for the day for him and his apprentice, for this was a skilled trade. He would be adding horsehair to his plaster to get a mix so strong that it would not crack for centuries. 
He could never have foreseen the present renovation obsession, and he would be proud to see how hard it was to smash down his walls to make room for a bigger kitchen. Now I was going to fill in these cracks and holes with a modern goo called Durabon 90. In the vernacular, mud. As I expected, Stan was an expert at applying this mud. He taught me the different ways to mix powdered Durabond with water to get the right consistency for the different wall surfaces, sometimes as thick as cake batter and sometimes as thin as yogurt. He showed me how to use the various sizes of the drywall blades to get an even finish, and the importance of keeping a clean blade by scraping the excess back onto the hawk. That's the square pallet that holds the mud after it's been mixed in the bucket. There were just the two of us working together. It was a far cry from the din of the studio, and the working atmosphere was calm, almost therapeutic. We each took a room, and we started mudding. They say that if you want to get someone to talk, take them for a drive, as it's more comfortable opening up to someone while staring straight ahead, avoiding eye contact. The Catholics figured this out centuries ago and devised the confessional. And mudding in different rooms of the house served the same purpose. How do you know all this stuff, Stan? Plumbing, wiring, mudding. Did you go to school or something? You take courses? No, I learned on the job. This is my ninth year doing this, so we could say that a lot of good stuff has rubbed off on me. I had good teachers. Who were they? Contractors, renovators. I used to drive around looking for a job site, any job site. Then I'd go in and I'd ask if they needed any more hands. It worked out pretty well. Cool. You still like it? I love the freedom. The tinny clang of drywall blades slapping the hawk and then scraping the ceiling put a calm rhythm in the air. It was a simple, relaxing meter, only broken when we kicked our stepladders into their next position. Why are you here? Stan asked. Why do you want to get into this? I don't know. It appeals to something in me. Like what? Well, I haven't figured it all out yet, but one thing I really like is that there's nothing subjective about this kind of work. You can't judge my interpretation of drywall installation. It's either done right or it's wrong. I find that an easier way to live. Yeah, for you it's easy at this stage. At some point, you'll get a reputation, and if it's bad, you won't work much. But if it's good, you have to maintain it if you want to keep working. That's when I find it gets stressful. Reputation and word of mouth go hand in hand, and that's what keeps me in business. So the pressure, yeah, it gets to me sometimes. It depends on the size and scope of the job. I'm surprised to hear that from you, Stan. You, you come across as so on top of everything. Well, that's because I had alcoholic parents. What about you? Are you always insecure, or is it just to do with you starting up in construction? No. I grew up that way. But wait, how has alcoholic parents made you such a take-charge-and-run-the-show kind of guy? Well, I couldn't rely on them for anything, so I had to take charge. I grew up looking after myself, getting breakfast, having a bath, things like that. Whoa. Is that typical child of alcoholic behavior? Is it documented or anything? Stan? You there? Yeah, I don't know. It's just what I think. Sometimes the thoughts got finished, sometimes they didn't. The long silences were easy. Stan came around the corner and looked at me, and then he went back around the corner. 
What's with the noises? He called out. What noises? You make noises when you work. Disapproving kind of noises. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I get frustrated. I should be better at this by now. Jeff, this isn't a pissing contest. Listen, you got some skills and you got good instincts. So just show up every day. Don't overthink and the rest will take care of itself. We mixed our buckets and moved our ladders into a new room. I wanted to say, thanks for your trust in me, Stan. You're a good guy, Stan. I feel lucky to have run into you, but I I couldn't say that stuff yet. Where were we? He called. I show up every day. I'll be as good as you. No, no, before that. Why are you sort of nervous and insecure? Incest? Buggery? No, nothing so dramatic. It's just garden variety, lack of self-esteem. My shrink says it's because I was abandoned at birth. What the fuck? You're making that up. No, I swear to God. My mom delivered me and took off for two years. Whoa. That makes you more fucked up than me. <laughs> I laughed. I, I would never have imagined that construction workers talked about things like this. Yeah, well, on the one hand, we've been trained to be... Yeah, well, on the one hand, we've been trained to be emotionally vulnerable as actors. And on the other hand, we learn to give away nothing in order to keep the peace on a construction site. We're a strange hybrid, you and me, and all the musicians and all the sculptors and potters and painters who call this their day job. Man, this is where I want to be, I said. Then you are more fucked up than me. There was a stack of steel beams in the middle of the ice house floor. Greg wanted them lifted the 12 feet up to the ceiling, somehow. He wanted one steel beam on either side of the old wooden beams, and then bolted together with a foot-long bolt, somehow. That part was entirely up to us. Has to be done by Friday, Greg said. Yeah, something sexy, I asked. Something sexy. Danger pay? Ha <laughs> just be careful. With a carjack and some chains... The steel beams got levered into position, but things got risky as the day wore on, because our backs and shoulder muscles fatigued. By the time we'd pounded the beams into place temporarily, I could barely lift my short-handled sledgehammer. Now we had to drill holes for the 12-inch bolts to go through, and then tighten the nuts. Greg had ordered the holes pre-drilled in the steel, so all I had to do was aim my drill through the hole in the steel on one side, bore through the wooden beam, and come out through the hole in the steel on the other side. I watched Stan line up his drill with the holes, and then I mimicked his technique moving along on the beam. I had about six holes to go when I hit the steel beam. The drill bit was moving at such a high speed that when it hit the steel, it came to an abrupt stop, with all of the drill rotation getting transferred to my wrist. The torque was so fierce that I was rotated clockwise off the ladder to the floor. My first thought was for my brand new drill. I just paid 120 bucks for it, and now it was hanging, smoking, from the beam half drilled in. I climbed back up in the ladder, put it in reverse, and began to back the bit out of the hole, but... I couldn't keep my grip on the drill. I had to let go. My forearm was burning. My fingers wouldn't work. I called to Stan. Can you give me a hand? Literally? Stan backed my drill out of the beam, and it was fine. My wrist was starting to swell. My mind was fighting feelings of being a Jeffrey. 
and I knew I had to get back to work. I'd been around long enough to observe that a sore rest was no justification for not finishing the day. Stan finished the drilling while I pounded the bolts through the holes and tightened the nuts with my good hand. You have to get that checked out, said Stan. Technically, it's an industrial accident. So at the end of the day, we'll go to a clinic, they'll tape your wrist up, and they'll give you some paperwork for Greg. Then you'll need a fair bit of alcohol, and I know an awesome place. After work, we went to the clinic, and we lined up behind kids with ear infections and runny noses, and when our turn came, the gorgeous nurse at the desk looked up at Stan and smiled. "'What brings you here today?' she asked. "'It's him,' said Stan, putting his big arm around me. "'He was abandoned at birth. Now he's sprained his wrist.' 